All right, church. If you could open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're in the third part of a series. Um... Oh, hello. There we go. Oh, nope. Boom. All right. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. If you've got a Bible, open up there. If you've got uh, the Bible on the phone, please do that. We also have Bibles in the back. We're in the third part of the series called Another in the Fire. And uh, the thing that we are focusing in on is the fact that Jesus, through the author of Hebrews' eyes, is somebody that is superior. He's talking, we don't know exactly who the author was, but we do know that the author was writing to a Jewish audience, a, a group of people that, that grew up with understanding the Old Testament as the end-all, be-all of how we know God and how we know our own history. I mean, they owned that. And all of a sudden, they've turned their lives over to recognize that the Messiah that the Old Testament was talking about and prophesying was actually Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. But... Just because you start believing something that's new, just because you start putting your trust in Jesus, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you experienced when you actually started following Jesus, as simple perhaps as it was to say, okay, finally I'm going in, I believe in Jesus, the consequences of that decision and the implications that that had on the rest of your life and how your life was before that where it was profound, these people had the same type of context, only their context was more, was more religious. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at... The, Hebrews chapter 3, um, we, we just picked up off of the part where uh, Pastor Brent talked about last week, where the author says, okay, you know how as Jewish people we really have this, 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 this fixation on angels and angels being the primary messenger of God? Great, but Jesus is greater than angels. And he goes into this huge diatribe about how incredible Jesus is and compared to everything. Jesus, God, God created the whole world. Jesus is God, and so of course he's greater than the angels. Although, he allowed himself to be lower than the angels for a little while for us. And then we get into chapter 3, where he starts to, to pivot, but still making the point, okay, I'm going to punch another one of your favorite heroes. I'm going to talk about Moses. I know you all love Moses, but we're going to talk about Moses, how Jesus is greater than he. And so if you could stand as we read chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The author of Hebrews Picking up after what he laid off of in chapter 2 says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the, to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. As the author uh, gets into this, we, we see this kind of uh, pretty basic uh, pronouncement, Jesus is greater than Moses. To any one of us in the 21st century, we would look at that and go, duh, of course. I mean, like Moses, Moses was just a man. Jesus was God. He was the God-man. Jesus is greater than Moses. So 21st century, we look at that and that's like, okay, why is this even a big deal? It was a big deal to them. That's why the author goes through the painstaking efforts to say, okay, Moses was a servant, but Jesus was the son. Chapter 3 illustrates the fact that, yeah, Joseph, Moses, Joseph, Moses was faithful in God's house, 
He uses the Greek word for in, but then he like pivots and uses a different Greek word for over. He says, Jesus wasn't just faithful in God's house. He was the builder. He's, the, he's faithful over God's house. Moses, he talked to God face to face, according to the book of Exodus. But Jesus, he is the literal face of God. As we said the first week, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would do, watch Jesus. If you want to know what God sounds like, listen to Jesus. That's how you know what God is, looks like, acts like, etc. But for these people, they're like, yeah, but Moses... Like, no, no, we believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. But you just got to understand, for us, Moses is a big deal. Like, okay, for us, we look back, and he was the killer of the Egyptian. You guys remember that? He did that. And you know, we're now in the first century, and Rome is the oppressors. They're the occupiers. You know how many times I've wanted to go up to a Roman and just slug him? I mean, maybe not kill him. There have been a few Romans that I wanted to kill, but seriously, I've thought about it. But, but Moses, he didn't just think about it. He did it. He did what we all wish that we could do in the face of the oppressors. But not only that, he was the spokesperson for God to the Pharaoh. He actually went up and spoke truth to power in a situation. And I'm, I know my heart. I know that I wish that I could step up and do something like that, but I'm far too much of a coward. But Moses, yeah, he had some issues in the beginning, but he actually went and did it. He spoke to Pharaoh, and he was the spokesperson for God. When we needed to get to where we needed to go, and we had the Red Sea that was blockading that, guess who was the person that got us through that? It was Moses. Moses was the one that actually was there to stand with his staff and part the waters. The, the man that God used to cross the Red Sea was Moses. On top of that, Moses brought us the law of God. Now everyone, all of, our, all of our neighbors that are pagans, they are doing everything they can to try to make themselves right with God. They try to, they try to sacrifice themselves, they sacrifice their kids, they sacrifice their crops just to make the gods happy. But you know what? God gave us 622 laws to give us specificity. We didn't have to live in ambiguity or doubt. God gave us the exact black and white, do this and we have connection. Don't do this when you're dealing with others. Don't do this when you're dealing with me. Do this instead. See, God loves us so much that you look at it, I know, 21st century people, you look at it all as like legalistic do's and don'ts. Not us. God gave us the law because he loved us. You know who gave that to us? Moses. He's the guy who came down off the mountain. He led us in the wilderness. You know, there's times where I feel like lost in my life and I feel like I'm, I'm wandering around. But you know who I think of when I need inspiration? Do you have any clue? What person? That's right, Moses. It was Moses. Moses helped organize our disorganized religion. I know as 21st century people, you hate organized religion. But back in the ancient world, man, the only thing worse than organized religion was disorganized religion. And now finally we had organization where we could know what God expected us and how to follow him. And Moses was the guy. Moses loved us. We don't have a Bible verse on that, but we really believe it. On top of that, he made sure that we were fed in the wilderness. Yes, it was God who provided the manna and the water, but who talked to God for us? It was Moses. Moses was the single greatest leader in our nation's history. Come on, Moses. Yeah, and then there's Jesus. But, but seriously, I mean, but if you think about my whole, ha my whole past, this isn't just my ancient history. As a first century Jewish person, as a first century Hebrew, I'm not looking at this as, as, a, as a historical book. I'm looking at this as part of me. This isn't their story. It's my story. Who crossed the Red Sea? Me. Who got the law from God? Me. Who wandered in the wilderness? Me. Who ultimately got to the promised land? It was me and my people. And when I look at each one of those things, who had their fingerprints all over it? It was Moses. And I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. 
I get that he's the Messiah. But when it comes to like being greater than, you got to understand, Moses was like president. He's like the president. He's a community organizer, activist, founding father, war hero, all rolled into one enchilada. He's the full package, okay? He's everything. And on top of that, folks, in the first century, they not only just believed all, they, it was like this resurgence of like fanboying over Moses. Not that the people in the past didn't think he was great, but it was like in the first century, they're looking back and going, we've done some messed up stuff and we've gone sideways a lot, but look at Moses. Look, he wrote the first five books of the Bible and God gave him the words to do that. Moses is amazing. In fact, there was this, this thought based on Deuteronomy 18.15 that possibly, possibly what was going to happen that this Messiah that we've all been hearing about one day is going to come back and you know who we think it's going to be? You got it. You were there. Moses, Moses, it's like, that, that was it. Moses is the one. He's like the guy who's going to be the one who's going to come back as the Messiah. I just know it. I got a good feeling. And then they also said this, okay, here's us. Here's God. Here's the angelic beings. You know where Moses is? Above the angelic beings, which is really weird. The author of Hebrews, talking to a group of Hebrews, talks about how Jesus became lower than the angels for a little while. Whoa, lower than the angels. That means that he's lower than, lower than Moses if this power ladder is actually what it is. No, the truth is, is that they, they struggled with the fact, when it comes to the greater than thing, man, I just, I, I, I want to say that the right answer is Jesus. I get that. But the person that is the bigger influencer, the greater leader in my day-to-day religious thought if I'm completely honest with you, it's not Jesus. It's most probably Moses. And the author of Hebrews is just saying, listen, he may be all that, but he still ain't Jesus. He may be all the stuff that we're saying. He may be as great an influencer on our past and impactor on our present scripture. That's great. But he ain't Jesus because Jesus is God. The author of Hebrews is correcting a misperception. This is where the author of Hebrews is Kanye Westing us, okay? And this is what I mean. If you remember this moment, in the 2015 VMAs, Taylor Swift, was, she had won one of her 450,000 trophies. And she's getting up there for the best female video at the 2015 MTV VM, uh, the VMA Awards. And she gets up there, and she, she's, about, she's doing what Taylor Swift did, which was like, I just can't believe, I, I, me? I, and she did that at every speech. It got really old. But she gets up there, and she's at like the, like the second to last, and then all of a sudden, Kanye West, boom, he sprints up on the stage, and he gets up there, he's, he's fairly lit, and when he gets up to the, uh, the stage, um, he, he comes up to her and he says, he says, Taylor, hey, Taylor, I'm happy for you, I'm going to let you finish, but, and then he turns and he finds Beyonce, and he says, but Beyonce, Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time, and then everyone's like, and, and then the camera cuts to Beyonce, she's like, and he's like, of all time. And then he walks off stage. And that's what happened. And this is what the author of Hebrews is doing. The author of, he- of Hebrews is actually correcting this similarly. He's actually going, and he's going to Moses, and he's saying, listen, <laughs> I'm not taking anything away from you. Okay, Moses is great. In fact, the author of Hebrews takes painstaking efforts to praise Moses. The author of Hebrews is like, Moses is great. I'm not, in fact, he was faithful in God's house. I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm going to let you finish, Moses. But Jesus is supreme. 
Jesus is the one. Jesus is God. He is over. He is the best of all time. And then he, got, and he finishes the book. What we see in this passage is that Moses is great. Moses is greater than you, your Sunday school teacher, your grandma. Great. We should give Moses all the props necessary. But come on. When it comes to this, we have to realize that Jesus being God is greater than Moses. Moses was this great presidential figure, this great leader of thought, this influencer that influenced tons of times after Moses was even dead. But Jesus is still greater. He's still greater, which leads me to the the message title for this sermon. Jesus is greater than your president. Now, if that makes you go, oh, then you have a problem. Because, and this is not just your problem, it's all of our problem. One of the things that's amazing about us as human beings is that this statement should be like a amen, right? But we're like, oh, that, I don't know if we should talk about that. <laughs> because what we, this is what every human being does. We take human leaders and we say, oh yeah, I believe in God. But the person that, if I was completely honest, impacts my day-to-day thinking and my psychological well-being the most, it's probably my leader. Whether it's that, it's that person's my president or my coach or my, my boss, or the person I'm in a relationship, the, a person that I look to as a leader in my life, they actually have more psychological impact on my day-to-day well-being than Jesus. They're greater than Jesus in that regard. And we do this politically. Like, with regard to our president, uh, we have people that, uh, whether you love them or hate, we have people that look at, looked at, look at President Trump like he walks on water. And they looked at our last president like he did, and the president before that kind of, and the president before that somewhat. People look at this guy like he did, and this guy like he did, and uh, not that guy. But um, most of them, <laughs> Jesus is greater than your president. We need to realize that, 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 that the, the thing that what, off, what we do is this. We bring up to the level of hero worship our human leaders. We bring up to a level of hero worship and idolatry human leaders, and that is idolatry. And you might think, I'm not an idol worshiper. Yes, I, I, you know, I think about these things, and that's fine. But how do you know if you're actually making your leader into an idol similar to how in the book of Hebrews they were making Moses in his place? How do they not properly position their human leader and influencer of Moses in front of Jesus. And this is how you can know. First thing that you, do, you can tell if you're idolizing a leader is if you overlook your leader or your hero's flaws and only focus on his or her strengths. If your leader, whether it's your president or it's your boss or the person that's the most strong advocate for your position and your p- political party or whatever, if you're looking at that person and you're only seeing their strengths and you cannot recognize out of your mouth their flaws, then you've got an idol. You've actually elevated someone above the human standing of imperfect and said this person is airbrushed perfection. That just isn't true. When we do that, we lose our objectivity. We cease being able to be objective about this person's human frailty, the fact that whether they're good or bad, they're still human and faulty. And because of that, we lose objectivity and all of a sudden truth no longer matters. And when truth no longer matters, all of a sudden we get to Chernobyl. I don't know if you've watched this uh, miniseries by HBO or not, but this is a, a, an amazing miniseries um, my kids turned me on to, um, Micah and Carson, or Micah first, um, just about the 1986 event that took place on April 26th at 1.23 a.m. and 40 seconds when the fourth nuclear reactor at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded. 
When that exploded, all of a sudden, the core is exposed and radiation is going everywhere. And the thing about it was, is, is that as soon as it happened, it was so shocking and alarming that the people who were even in the control room, Chernobyl was this incredible, it took 30 minutes to walk from one, to the, to one side to the other. And so from the control center to the actual uh, disaster, it took about 20 to 30 minutes to walk there. And so the guys over on the other side are like, what just happened? When they realize that they've got a problem, they you have an assembly of all the, the mucky mucks who are trying to make decisions. And what is being said is, this, the nuclear reactor did not blow up. It did not blow up. Well, shouldn't we investigate? No, we should not. That, it, it, it's impossible. There's no way. That, well, is radiation a problem? Should we alert our community? No, we shouldn't. And one guy says, well, don't you think we should actually look into this? If radiation is actually escaping, there are thousands upon thousands of people's lives that are going to be impacted by it when this character stands up. This character um, represents um, the, the person that was just expressing the USSR's Soviet perspective. And he simply starts off by, by uh, hitting his cane on the ground to get their attention. And then he stands and he says, do you know what this power plant was called? You all call it Chernobyl. But do you know what it was called before it was called Chernobyl? Because it was called Lenin's power plant, Lenin's nuclear power plant. And then he begins to express the fact that we are standing on Lenin's legacy. What are we preserving? Lenin's legacy. What are we protecting? Lenin's legacy. Communism in and of itself is on the line. We have to protect that. And in, what he's basically saying is truth no longer matters. What we need to do is to preserve this ideology, this political party, and let truth fall to the wayside. He says, so what we're going to do is we're going to cut the lines. We're going to make sure nobody leaves the community. We have to keep it here so that panic doesn't let out. And because he's a true believer, he said, and we will be greatly rewarded for this. He believed with all of his heart that he was doing the right thing. What he was doing was idolizing a political figure and a political ideology, and truth fell to the wayside. Secondly, you can know that you're idolizing a leader if you're not only overlooking your leader or hero's flaws and only focusing on his or her strengths, but secondly, you're also overlooking your opponent's positive attributes and only focusing on his or her flaws. If all you see in your, the person that, that is your front-running guy or girl, and this is them, or your coach, or your leader, or your boss, whatever, if only you're seeing their like, positive side, no, none of the negatives, but when you think about your opponents and all you can see is the negative, all you can see are the off-steps, then you also, can, that's a good indicator you have an idol here because you, again, have lost objectivity. You're not able to say, I can agree with you on the fact that this, this, and this is good. And this, this, and this is where I say that is not helpful or bad. When you choose to have, when you end up having an idol, no matter who that is, these two things happen. And that's bad for humans. But for Christians... The third ramification is the most damning. Because not only do you lose objectivity, Christian or non-Christian, that's bad. But what gets really bad is the third ramification, which is this. I invest far less time dwelling on my Savior and his implications on my life than my hero or my enemy. The person that, if I'm completely honest, has more of a psychological bearing on my psychological well-being, more than Jesus, is this person. Whether that is the person in the Oval Office, 
the person you wish was in the Oval Office, a past person in the Oval Office, or again, any other leader in your life that's acting as an influencer in your life. If this is accurate, then you, you're, you're, you're worshiping an idol. It's, because, it's gone to a place of idol status. Now, if that sounds like way out there, I just got to tell you, John Calvin was right. John Calvin, um, the reformer, he said this. He said that the human heart is an idol factory. One of the most natural things that happens in our heart is that we will find things to be the leader and Lord of our life. And even if we believe in Jesus as Lord, our hearts are constantly still looking for a movement, a trend, a line of clothing, a group of friends, a movie, a TV show, whatever, to fill this thing. This is what I am serving. This is what my time and my life are invested in. This is what brings me emotional well-being. That is my idol. That's my God. And you might be saying, well, like, I don't have any of that stuff. I don't listen to anybody. Guess what? You're God. <laughs> you're your own God. You're, you're, you've, you have effectively subbed out God for yourself. How do we remedy this? Verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 3 speaks to it and says simply this. We remedy it with thoughts. And if that sounds soft to you, the word that he uses here for thoughts is a word for like fixating, like, like drawing all of your attention to. He says this, fix your thoughts on Jesus. You want to remedy the idol factory that we have for leaders in our life? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Let those be the highest influencer in your life. He says this, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, again, that, that's the church, that's who we are. Those who are sharing in the heavenly calling Fix your thoughts. Be fixated on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. The author of Hebrews is clarifying that if we actually shift our way of thinking about leadership in our life, lordship in our life, that will be a game changer as far as how we allow human beings to seep in as idols that we end up worshiping. I wrote this down um, just in, in response to all this. If you do not intentionally follow Jesus as your daily leader, you will unconsciously assign yourself a not Jesus to fill that role. Someone who's not Jesus. And, and whether or not it's Mo, uh, Moses, like a positive, you know, because again, the author of Hebrews is saying Moses is a positive influencer. In fact, later on in the book, he says, we should all try to be like Moses. But Moses wasn't Jesus. We can sub into our life a bunch of really positive things and still take the place of Jesus. Whether it's a Moses or not, the expectations imposed upon that human will ultimately result in crushing them, disappointing you, and distancing yourself from the greatest joy, which is exclusively found in following Jesus. As hearts that are made to be idol factories, we're constantly going to be looking to somebody, a man or a woman, a group of men, or a group of women, to be the one that we are bowing down to in some way, shape, or form. And the author of Hebrews is saying, even when the best example of someone we should follow and emulate the life of, that ain't Jesus. So we fix our eyes, our thoughts on Jesus which is number one, mentally making a list of the not Jesus influencers in our world. Again, this is not saying 
bad. It just is basically saying, who, who's not Jesus that's an influencer in your world? So let's just, take, let's just take news and politics. If you're like hardcore into Fox News or hardcore into MSNBC or, or some type of divergent you know, news source, and that is your primary, that's where you're getting all your information, and that has a significant impact on your psychological well-being in the day, make a list of that. Because that, that's, that's a not Jesus. It, the TV shows that you're watching, that you're binging, what, what, are, what are they? Because those are not Jesus's. I mean, they're not good or bad. And MSNBC, Fox News, all that, that's not good or bad. Just, they're just not Jesus. Make a list of those. And then identify which in that group, let's see if we can get, yeah, identify the Moseses. Identify the influencers in your world, the things that you're listening to music-wise and TV show-wise and news-wise, that's not Jesus, but is in kind of like in a line of Moses. It has, has a godly impact on your life. It's a benefit to you. It pushes you closer to the mission and the purpose that God has given you. And just identify those. Identify the Moseses. And then secondly, identify those sources and those influences that challenge and hurt your confidence in Christ. Again, that's not, that's not exclusively saying anything that's a non-Christian product, movie, music, news source, whatever, isn't something that a Christian should digest. Just, I would say, absolutely not. You have an example, for example, of Paul in Acts 17 going in, in, in Athens, Greece. He goes right to the Arapagus, where it's this place of the epicenter of culture and art and philosophical exchange, where they discuss the different things that people believed. And he goes into this place not as a sketchy, scared ignoramus about the culture and, and art or religion. He, someone who's like, look, I don't know anything about what you guys believe, but Jesus is the way. And walks away. No, he doesn't do that. He actually walks in there and he actually says, your poetry has talked about this. And he quotes pagan poetry about Zeus. And then he connects it to what the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Father's relationship with Jesus is. He talks about this, 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 this um, statue to the unknown God. He says, you guys don't know who this is, but I do. He walks in there as someone who's informed. So I think that there is, as a Christian, we need to be people who are digesting our culture, understanding the news, reading papers, blogs, etc. However, you need to have discernment in that as a Christian so that you know what is impacting you. When I've been preparing for sermons, I read atheist literature. Like I read Dawkins and Hitchens and, and Sam Harris. I read these guys. Now, as I'm reading it, I'm not getting to a place where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore. I don't even believe I believe in the, the resurrection anymore. That doesn't happen. It helps me understand where they're coming from or where they're off, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not breaking down or hurting my confidence in Jesus. If I was finding that it was, that would be something that would not be helpful for me. Just as much as, like, I've got a relationship with my wife, Julie, I wouldn't want to do or read something that was going to hurt this relationship, Right? If I'm doing something that's going to hurt my relationship with my wife, Julie, that's stupid. I love her. I'm in a relationship with her. I wouldn't want to do something similarly that would be hurting my relationship with Jesus. That'd be dumb. And so what you need to do is you need to be making lists, mental lists of the not-Jesus influencers, finding the Moseses and saying, okay, this is good, but it has to be put in perspective. And, and the ones that are like actually detrimental to me, I'm just going to nix them because it's not worth hurting my relationship with Christ. Secondly, not only just make, mentally making a list, but also investing time each week, each day in understanding Jesus as the lead influencer in your life. And, and we've talked about this on the first week, and I just want to reiterate it to you. Read or reread the first four books of the New Testament. Read or reread the first four books of the New Testament. And if you're like, you've been a Christian forever, 
And you're just like, that's so elementary. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know the stories. I saw the flannel graph, got the t-shirt. I don't need to do this. Yes, you do. Because if you want to know what, what God sounds like, you have to listen to Jesus. You want to know what God looks like, you, you watch Jesus. You want to know how he would interact with people. You, you, you observe that in the Gospels. And so what we need to do is this. Read or reread the first four books of the New Testament. And I want to give you this challenge. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You could read all four of those books easily in a month's time. If you read like three chapters a day. I, but I would encourage you just like to read, start with each of them with chapter one. And then just progress. They're, they have different chapter lengths. But you're going to see the life and the ministry of Jesus over and over again. How do you get God to be the primary influencer over your psychological well-being? You allow him into your mind through God's word. You allow him into your, your daily walk. And then you make this step. You ask him for the courage to truly be led by him today. And I promise you, I promise you, if you ask Jesus to lead you effectively each day, he will do it. If you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, I, I've just read this reality about who you are, and what you called me to do, help me be led by you today, you will see that change happen. Truth be told, when we look at the course of your life, there's a couple things that you've done really, really good that have impact, made a big impact. And there's a couple things that you've done really, really bad that have also made a big impact, right? But the majority of the good in your life has come from tiny little daily decisions. In your relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your coworkers, the students that you hang out with, your friends, tiny decisions. The way that you actually let Jesus be the leader of your life is you come to on a daily basis saying, I need you to lead my decisions today. And do that minute by minute by minute. And you will see something that God affects in you that will lead you to the thing that he says right there at the end. And we are his house. This talking about we as the church. We are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The reason that you've got confidence is not because of the president. I don't care which president you love the most. None of them gave you the confidence that Jesus could. He says that you've got hope. But it's more hope than you could possibly have in a human relationship or a human job. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater than all of those things. Are you choosing to allow him to be your leader psychologically and actively each and every day. The author of Hebrews says that we need to do that. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. I'd like you to stand and as a benediction. Um, a friend of mine, when, when studying this passage this week, wrote kind of the, the Christian's confession. And I'd like us to read this together as a church. This is kind of a summary of kind of a chapter two, chapter three blending of, of what what God is saying there, and I think this is important for us to come back to as a, as a kind of a starting point. The reason that we have confidence and we have hope, the reason that we can choose to say, yes, I feel like I need to be putting my hope in this person or this person, but I'm going to choose to put my hope primarily in Jesus is because of this reality. Let's go ahead and read this together. We are the corporate conception of God's house, and Jesus is the faithful high priest over God's house. We have confidence and hope in Christ's faithfulness, namely his incarnation, being made lower than the angels for a little while, and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. 
Christ is the faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Amen? May we go live that out today and each and every day until we meet again. For those of you who'd like to meet some people, see you out on the patio. Everyone else, God bless your week. We'll see you back here next week.